You know that needy tank that I mentioned before? Mine's getting full. Amen? What a great joy it is to hear that kind of a prayer, that kind of a, ultimately a benediction that we ought to take with us every single day and bless others, to bless our kids and their kids in a thousand generations. Oh, that God's hand would be upon his people and in our hearts and our minds such that the world around us would fade away. We would not worry about the political uh, climate of America. We would not worry about the economic concerns of this world. We would not have the worries of those world. Not that we would be naive and, and tuck ourselves away into some hole, but that we would engage the world with love. Amen? Well, all throughout 2021, our sermon series is called The Pathway, and we're talking about being on the path of a Jesus follower. We're talking about what it means to literally walk in the dust of our rabbi, to follow after him, to actually take him at his word and say, what if Jesus really meant those things that he said about loving and caring and giving and compassion? And as he gives to us instructions of how to live, the very best possible kind of life, Life, you and I need to engage our thinking in this pathway. Let's think about really the big picture things of life. And so here's what I want to do. Last year, we started in April walking through the book of Daniel, and we pushed the pause button sort of two-thirds of the way through, and we did it on purpose. We knew that we were going to look at Advent and Christmas, and so November, December, we moved away for a little bit. But I want you to turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to get into some of the most incredible scripture that is in all of the Bible. Some of the most potent prophecy in all of the Old Testament, certainly. And what I want you to see is Daniel is going to give us two different sections of the pathway. He's going to guide us along the path from his day to our day and from our day beyond. And so he's talking about the path of a Jesus follower even though he didn't fully understand or know those things. This is hundreds of years before the advent of Jesus. And we're going to see that today. Daniel chapter 9 beginning in verse 20. And I'm going to ask you, I know some of you just got seated again, but I'm going to ask you to stand if you will in honor of the reading of the word of God Daniel chapter 9 and we're going to begin in verse 20 I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem his holy mountain and as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of 70 weeks, or it should, uh, you might read it this way, of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Look at verse 25. Now listen and understand seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler the anointed one comes Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous Times. You may be seated and may God add blessing and understanding to the reading of his word you know, there are things in life that are hard to understand. There are challenges. One of those is the handwriting of a doctor. Very, very difficult to decipher. I heard a story of a man who went to the doctor and he received a slip of paper with a prescription on it and he forgot to get it filled. He tucked it away in his coat and he had this prescription with him for some time. But it was said that every single morning for two years he showed it to the conductor at the subway and got free passage. 
Twice that prescription got him into Radio Music Hall. Once he showed it at the door of the symphony and was allowed entrance. He was given a raise at work by human resources because he showed them that prescription as a letter from his boss. It was said that one day he mislaid that prescription at their house. His daughter picked it up. She played it on the piano and got a scholarship to the music conservatory. Some people may think that the 70 weeks of Daniel is about as absurd as that story of a doctor's handwriting. It's outlandish and illegible, it seems. But I want you to hear this. This prophecy was given not to confuse us, not to confound us, but as it says, to give us understanding of the end from the beginning of God's wonderful plan for his people, the Jews, and where we fit into the process. And now the reason that I would come back to this place in Daniel to talk about following in the footsteps of Jesus is I want you to have incredible confidence that our God knows where things are going. You and I need to hear that and we need to stand upon it because some of you have let the world around you, the news that comes across your screens in your home, whether it's a phone or a computer or a television screen, the news has rattled you and you're concerned about things, but God is not wringing his hands in heaven. God is not wandering in front of his throne, pacing, worried about what's coming next. He already knows. Amen. And so we go back to Daniel to begin to see how he parsed out what was to come. And we will see the sovereignty of God in and through this passage. And when we do, as we look at Daniel 9, 10, 11, and 12 over the subsequent weeks, we will begin to see God's unfolding plan and his heart for his people. So as we look at this, I want you to see God has a pathway. He has a pathway and his way is unfolding and he knows the end from the beginning. God gives Daniel light for the path. I love that picture. That's what I've entitled the sermon. God gives to Daniel light for the path. He illuminates what's going to happen. In fact, in a powerful way, we're going to see not only does he give Daniel what is going to happen, he gives him the allotted time frame for when it will happen. I don't know about you, I want to follow Jesus in these days. There's a few of you. I, I want to follow the Lord. I don't want to miss out on one single command that he has for me, one single blessing that he offers me. I don't want to be misstepped in any way. I don't want to lag behind. I don't want to run ahead. I don't want to sidestep and find things along the path that would catch my eye when I know that following in the footsteps of Jesus is the abundant life and it's the life that leads to victory. I want to be there. And so we pick back up with one of the most amazing prophecies in all of the Bible as we have just read. Perhaps you've heard of Josephus. Anybody ever heard the name Josephus? Not Bocephus. I'm not talking about Hank Williams. Josephus. Josephus was a historian. Josephus, Flavius Josephus is actually his name, from Jerusalem. He lived in the very first century. He was not a Christian, but much of what he wrote corroborates the Bible and the story of the Bible. And Joseph, uh, Josephus actually wrote about Daniel chapter 9 that we've just read. Let me give you what he said about it. This is pretty incredible as I studied this a couple of weeks back it is fit to give an account of what this man Daniel did it, which is most admirable to hear for he was so happy as to have strange revelations made to him and those as to one of the greatest of the prophets insomuch that while he was alive he had the esteem and the applause both of the kings and the multitudes. Now if you were with us in our study uh, through the book of Daniel thus far you know that was true. He had favor with Nebuchadnezzar. He had favor with uh, other kings and he certainly had favor with the people. But now Josephus said he is dead. He retains a remembrance that will never fail. For that he wrote and left behind him are still read by us to this day or to this time. And from them we believe that Daniel conversed with God. And we see this. He said, for he did not only prophesy of future events as did other prophets, but he determined the time of their accomplishment. 
You see, Daniel is given here as a direct answer to his prayer what is going to happen and when it's going to happen. He is given a look into the future. And I want you to see this. This prophecy does not happen in a vacuum. This prophecy comes as a result of or as an answer to what? What was Daniel doing? He was praying. Daniel was in tumultuous times. He was still captive in a foreign land. He had been kidnapped as a teenager and taken out of Jerusalem, placed in Babylon. Babylon is overtaken by the Medo-Persians. Daniel is in a place where he's wondering, and the people are wondering, has God forgotten us? Sort of sounds like where we live today. Have you ever just woken up and said, okay, God's gone on vacation for a little while and the whole world's gone crazy. I'm in the, the midst of pandemic, in the midst of turmoil and strife. And Daniel chose that the thing that he would do in response was pray. He'd just cry out to God. He would confess sin. <coughs> Excuse me. He would confess sin to the Lord. He would seek the Lord. He would cry out. And in his crying out, he gives to us Perhaps a very, very good example. I, I want you to see this. Maybe a good lesson for us. When he was uncertain and unsure, he prayed. Maybe, just maybe, here in 2021 at Hardy Street Baptist Church or in the life of any Christian, if you find yourself in a place of uncertainty, in a place of worry or anxiety, and you need clarity about the things that are going on around you, maybe, just maybe, prayer would be an excellent place to start. Maybe we need to get back to that place where we would say, I'm going to cry out to the Lord. I'm not going to worry about these things, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing. I've said this to you long since being the pastor here. Prayer needs to be our first response, not our last resort. You don't need to come to the end of yourself and all of your worry and fret and then pray. You need to pray. And I love that. We started out in verse 20 very simply. I went on praying. You may want to underline those words. I love that about Daniel. I also want you to see this. There's an amazing symmetry to this prophecy. Everybody look this way. For 490 years before the captivity, the people of God had thumbed their nose at one of God's major commands. One of the Ten Commands is to keep the Sabbath day holy, right? It says actually to keep the Sabbath holy. And God didn't just establish a Sabbath day. He established a Sabbath year. Every seventh year, they were to not plant crops, but let the land rest. And that was an act of trust. We'll trust you God that you know best and so we're going to let the land rest and we will seek you we've stored up we've paid attention we've done right God would give them a blessing in the sixth year and they would not plant in the seventh but for 490 years they had neglected to do that they had overtaxed the land because they weren't trusting God and so God said I'll take those years back and so out of 490 years that would leave every seventh year there would be 70 Sabbaths that they had not taken and so God said I'm going to have Babylon come and take you captive pull you out of Jerusalem and the, the land is going to rest I'm doing this so that I will receive glory you will recognize my sovereignty but the land is going to rest now here's an interesting thing about it you have 490 years of their disobedience that culminates or is consummated if you will in their captivity 70 years they're held captive and now Daniel is given a vision that says that for 77 so 70 weeks and these are weeks of years so 70 sets of 7 they would now for 490 years experience a time when God is moving forward and the culmination of that 490 years would not be captivity but would be deliverance it's a beautiful picture God speaks through Gabriel to Daniel and he says for a period of 70 weeks I'm going to begin moving and he says that 69 of those will happen to a specific date and then there will be a 70th we're going to talk about this I don't want you to get confused I want you to see the simplicity and the beauty that is here now let's look together in this idea it's almost as if God is saying that, that all of that time that has been wasted I've taken back and now I'm going to bless you with how it could be 
Look at verse 24. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your city. So he's talking about the Jews. He's talking about his own people. This is God's unfolding plan for the Jews, but it will also include us. Now look at verse 25. Listen and understand. 70 sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one. It literally says or means the Messiah Prince. He says 69 weeks will pass until the Messiah comes to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be rebuilt with strong streets, uh, streets and strong defenses during these perilous times. All right, church family, follow along. Daniel is told that 69 weeks will pass until the Messiah comes. And it says that the starting point would be a decree, that a decree would come for the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, as I preached this back in the fall, that these are sets of years. These are weeks of years. You can have a week of days. That's one week, seven days. You can have a week of years. It's seven years and, and so forth. And this is a uh, when he talks about 70 weeks, he's talking about 490 years. And I'm not making that up. We see it all throughout Scripture. And especially in light of the 70-year captivity, we understand God was taking back Sabbath years from these 490. Daniel was told by the, the angel, know and understand this, that from the issuing of the decree, it'll start. So here's the deal. Can you imagine in Daniel's heart the joy? Daniel has been kidnapped as a teenager, taken away, emasculated, brainwashed, forced to serve a foreign king, and now Gabriel says to him, the land of your boyhood is going to be restored. It's going to be rebuilt. Not just the streets, but the walls. Not just the streets and the walls, but the temple. God is going to restore Jerusalem. I imagine Daniel's heart began to beat faster and faster with exuberant joy because it didn't seem possible. Can you imagine getting good news in these days that would turn the circumstances of a pandemic, that would turn the circumstances of our political climate? If God somehow showed up and gave to you a glimpse of a future of hope and of joy, well, that's what happens here. Now, the important part of this prophecy for us to see this morning is the timing. When will these 69 weeks pass? Well, it's important to see when they'll start. What did he say would be the, the marker of the start? I've already said it two or three times. A decree. A decree to do what? To rebuild what? The city, Jerusalem. Now, you ask, Pastor, is there anything in the Bible that says anything like that? Well, uh, unfortunately for us, there's at least three decrees. But we need to put our thinking caps on and walk through them. I don't want you to get hung up in all the details. That's not the intent of my sermon today. But there's a decree in Ezra chapter 1. You may want to jot that down. You don't have to, to turn there. We're not going to walk through these in depth. But we're talking about starting the prophetic clock. Daniel's given a, a word from God that there's going to be 70 weeks. And when will that start? It'll start when the decree to rebuild the city occurs. Well, in Ezra chapter 1, the king stands and he gives a decree to go back and build the temple, a house for the Lord. But that's not what Gabriel said would start the clock. They would go back and rebuild the temple, but they're not rebuilding the streets. They're not rebuilding the walls. In fact, a city was not really considered a city unless it had walls. I mean, it needed to be fortified and protected. And Daniel was given a word from Gabriel that says, when the city is decreed to be rebuilt, then the clock starts on these 70 weeks. There's another decree in, in Ezra chapter 6. And it's really a retelling, if you will, of the first one. The first one was from Cyrus. This one is from Darius. And King Darius issues a decree as a renewal to go back and build the house for the Lord. And over and over again, we see the house for the Lord. Now, God doesn't live in a house. God doesn't live in a subdivision in Jerusalem. But God had said, I will dwell with my people. If you'll build this tabernacle for me, I will let my presence go with you. And so they've been given decree by Cyrus and by Darius to go back and to build the house of the Lord, but not the city. To find that decree, we'll have to go to Nehemiah chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but jot it down somewhere. Nehemiah 2. How many of you know anything about Nehemiah? 
All right, Nehemiah was a faithful man. He was a faith-filled man. Nehemiah served the king, and he was his cupbearer. It's like he was his chief butler. And part of his responsibility was that he would select and taste the food and the wine of the king. And he did so because if anybody wanted to poison the king, he would die first. That means the king trusted him. He trusted him with his own life because he would bring to him his food. And he had access to the king. And one day, Nehemiah came back into the presence of the king and was downtrodden. He looked sad. Well, that was a, an offense before king. You were not to bring the king down. You were not to, to mess up his mood. And, and he looked at him, and I can imagine him saying, Nehemiah, are you sick? Nehemiah, no. Well, then what's wrong with you? Why are you sad? And he said, my people in my city have gone back and seen report had come to him that the city walls were broken down, that the gates had been burned, that there was no defense, that there was nothing left. And I imagine the king on his throne scratching his beard and looking at him and wondering in his mind, what does Nehemiah want? And Nehemiah breathed in a breath knowing he was on very thin ice in this in this scenario and he prayed a silent prayer and he became emboldened and he said if it pleases the king that I've served him well would you allow me to go back and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem would you allow me passage to go and in fact he got, he got real bold and he said would you talk to other kings and ask if they would give me permission to have lumber from Lebanon that I can take those beams back with me and build and the king gave him all of the requests the king issued a decree that he could go back and begin to build the city. Guess what? The clock's now ticking. Because Gabriel came from heaven and he said there will be 69 weeks that start at the decree of building the city until the Messiah comes. 69 weeks. This is 69 seven. 69 weeks of years. Now, let's just do a little math with this for a second, okay? 69 weeks times seven equals 483. And those are years. So something significant is going to happen 483 years after this king, Artaxerxes, looked at Nehemiah and said, you can go back and build the city. Well, I want you to do something with me. Let's go a little further. 483 years, they followed a lunar calendar that had 360 days in it. We talked about this all throughout the Bible. We see it in Noah's day and otherwise. So if we multiply 483 by 360, now we get a whole number of days. I just wanted to put this in days. 173,880 days. Well, do we know when this decree was made? Let me go to Nehemiah chapter 2 and share with you. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. So there is the date that he made the request of the king. Now, folks, if you like to put together puzzles, the Holy Spirit has given to us something powerful. We know that the, the beauty of this picture is that King Artaxerxes is said to be in his 20th year. And we know that he started ruling and reigning in 465 B.C. So 20 years later is 4. 45. And this is the, the month of Nisan. And that would go with, for us, March. That, that would follow along in our calendar. Trust me on it. I'm not going to get into all the detail. I just want you to see this. So, the first day of Nisan would be March 14th. Okay? Trust me on that. You can walk through the study if you want. March 14th, 445 B.C. And we know that some 173,880 days later, something's going to happen. You want to know what happened? Let me try that again. Y'all want to know what happened? Come back next week and we'll talk. about. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Scholars say that 173,880 days later would take us to April the 6th, A.D. 32. It actually takes us to Luke chapter 19. Turn there in your Bible. I want you to see something that you may have never seen before. Jesus, over and over again, healed people. Would you agree with that? And over and over again, Jesus told people, don't tell 
Make sure that no one knows. Why would he do that? I mean, you would think if you're trying to save the world, if you're trying to reach the world, you wouldn't go about it that way at all, that you would push hard in a different direction. But Jesus over and over again, I mean, think about this. He, he often says, go and tell no one. To, to a leper in Mark 1, go and tell no one. To two blind men given sight, go and tell no one. To a paralytic man, go and tell no one. You would think, Jesus, you've got the opportunity to go viral. I mean, this could blow up. If somebody said, he's able to touch eyes and they can see. He's able to touch withered hands and they work. He's able to raise the dead. Jesus, tell people. I mean, from our perspective, it's go and tell. We, we sing, go tell it on the mountains. But not before this date. Luke chapter 19, or Luke chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 41. Let me give it to you. It'll be on the screen. But he, as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish that all of you people, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, let me back up. I'm, I'm in the wrong place. Luke 19, I, I'm gonna get there. Luke 19, verse 29. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there. He told them, as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. And so they went and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all of the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees among the crowd looked at Jesus and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples for saying things like that. And look at verse 40. He replied, If they kept quiet... The stones along the road would burst into cheers. <laughs> the rocks will cry out if they don't. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, he said, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. But today, he receives their praise, he receives their glory, he receives their laud and their honor because he is the Messiah. And you need to know that exactly 483 years after Gabriel spoke to Daniel, Jesus rode into the city and was proclaimed to be the Messiah. Make no mistake, God knows what's coming down the road. God shed light on the path. God gave to Daniel an incredible picture. It was a day like no other day. Oh, Brother West, they were singing and praising that day. They were saying, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see that the Savior has, has sent the disciples to find this colt, and he rides on a donkey. Who's ever seen a king riding on a donkey? Lowly in that way. You would think it would be a pomp and circumstance. You'd think it'd be a, a great, strong, white horse with, with adorned in gold or a black stallion, majestic, riding along as he leads this army of people and followers behind him but he's on a donkey the book of Zechariah hundreds of years before you may want to jot down Zechariah 9 9 just for study it says rejoice greatly daughter Zion shout daughter Jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey the people shouted hosannas and they waved palm branches. We call this Palm Sunday and they shouted blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And over and over again Jesus had said don't tell but today he says you can't help but tell. Why? Look at me church. 493 years before this Jesus seated on a throne in heaven sends Gabriel to Daniel and says there's coming a day that I'm coming. 
And when I come, I'll be recognized as Messiah, the fulfillment of all of the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations of people that have cried out in exile will be fulfilled in me. He was there and he was there. Hallelujah. That ought to give to us such incredible joy. And I want you to see this for a long time. I did not understand this at all. That Jesus, why would you do that? There's no keeping quiet on this day. This was the day that Jesus was to come forth as the Messiah Prince. While the people were singing and praising... Jesus had a different response. What, what was Jesus doing as he rode in? I want you to see this. We'll pick up in verse 41, still in Luke 19. Jesus was weeping. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish that today you would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. The, the peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side and they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize when God visited you. Folks, this is not for the faint of heart and this isn't just for the casual de decider of, of what is devotional or not. You can't just say, well, I, I like to pick and choose scripture. You need to take the whole picture into context here. You need to realize that God had a plan from the beginning and he established that plan and he spoke to his prophet and he laid out the foundation that it was coming and Jesus on this day was weeping. Why? Because this was the day this was the time this was the hour and he had been dispatched from uh, Gabriel had been dispatched from heaven to give the news and Jesus the Messiah the prince would be proclaimed on this day but there wasn't a single person in the crowd that understood the Old Testament enough to recognize that this was his day and so we see Jesus weeping the Bible says that he came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him, believing in his name, to them he gave the right, the power to become sons of God. The prophecy says that after the anointed one came, he will be cut off. We read that. It said he would come after those 69 weeks and be cut off. And it wasn't but a few days after this triumphal entry that Jesus was crucified, fulfilling that part of verse 25. And because his people didn't know him, he turned his program of the Jews into his plan for the Gentiles. It's like he pushed Paul's. So Daniel is given a vision of 70 weeks, of 490 years, 483 years happen. The Jews reject him and Paul's button pushes. And all of a sudden Jesus is crucified and resurrected and the church is born. The Holy Spirit comes. Daniel didn't write about the Holy Spirit in the church because he knew nothing of that. He only knew the plan for the Jews. He only knew his nationality. But God graciously and mercifully included you and me in that offer and it will stand for a time. And there's going to come a time that he'll take the pause button off and he'll reissue his work with the Jews for one last week. Now, Bible scholars, Bible students what do we know in the New Testament will be a period of time for seven years the tribulation 69 weeks have happened 69 70 of this prophecy have already come true and we don't know the time of this one we don't know when it will start what we do know is that will happen is the church will be raptured the very next step on the prophetic timeline is that the trumpet of God will sound and the voice of the archangel and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And I would say to you today, as was said then, as Jesus said, it's too late then. Can I tell you right now, it's not too late. If you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to recognize that God is taking all of this earth somewhere. He has a plan and a program for us. And if you will trust him, you can be saved. And so for me and for you today, our response to this kind of teaching ought to be an encouraged confidence that God is sovereign.
that he's over all, that he's working out his plan. And if you are a believer, take confidence that you can share with other people that day has not yet come. And while we still have light before the midnight hour, we can cry out to others around us and share with them the glorious good news. You can be saved. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on his name and be saved. And we see such a beautiful picture. Now, we don't have time to to fully express all that will come we will get into the rest of this in the 70th week next week we'll talk about those last seven years but Daniel was told that six things would happen that transgression would be finished that an end to sin would be placed that atonement for wickedness and that the most holy place would be anointed have those things occurred in our lifetime I mean, are we at a place where there's everlasting peace in Israel? Anyone? Absolutely not. Is the temple, the holy place, anointed? No. There's not a temple to be anointed at this juncture. We know that none of these prophecies have yet been fulfilled. And I want to kind of bring this to a a, a drawn-out conclusion because I want you to see the prophets of old, like Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah they looked into the future and they saw all the things that God was going to do through his son the Messiah coming but they didn't realize that there would be a first coming and a second advent and you think about this in that famous Christmas prophecy of Isaiah there will be a child given a son born and he will be called wonderful counselor everlasting father prince of peace and the government will be upon his shoulders Let me ask you this. Was the government upon the shoulders of Jesus when he came the first time? No. The government was not upon his shoulders. The government put in his hands and at his feet nails. And they nailed him to a cross. But make no mistake, when he comes again, he will be the government. He will be the judge. He will be the ruler eternally forever and ever righteously reigning over all the earth. Isaiah didn't see that. Isaiah was just told from his perspective, the Messiah's gonna come. He didn't know how it would all play out. Daniel didn't fully understand the church. He didn't understand that you and I would be here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi as a part of this between 69 weeks and the 70th week waiting for Jesus to come again. But here we are. My kids all throughout their school age years asked about certain subjects in school. Dad, why do we have to study that? Anybody else? For some of you, it was like English and math. And most of the time, it's like algebra or English lit. You know, I've never in my life seen... Yeah, I just think, boy, I wish that when algebra season comes around that I had been more up on that. Maybe if they taught me about taxes, that would be a little bit better. But why in the world we got to study algebra? Now, if there's a math teacher in here, don't get in a rile. Don't write me a letter. But why do we study that? And my answer to them was so you can get good grades and go to college and get a good job, and hopefully that would suffice. I didn't let them off the hook and say, oh, well, it's not going to be useful, so you don't have to study it. I did have a teacher in the third grade who leaned over my desk and she looked at me and she said, son, do you really think you're going to carry a calculator with you everywhere you go for the rest of your life? And I wish so bad I could pull out a phone these days and show it to her and say, actually, yes. Why do we need to study this? You said, pastor, you're trying to teach me as a father who's struggling just to keep my family together. Why do I need to study the 70 weeks of Daniel? You're a college student and you're trying to figure out the path in life or maybe you're a newlywed or you're a nearlywed. Maybe maybe you're a grandparent and you're just praying for your grandkids in this crazy world. Why should we study it? I wanna give you very quickly three thoughts. Number one, I want you to see this. This prophecy teaches us that God's not through with his people, the Jews. God's not through with the Jewish people. Imagine how Daniel felt a captive for 69 years sitting there in this Babylonian culture that had been taken over by the Persians and God's saying, I'm not through with you yet. Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt, restored. 
Someone said it this way. They said about the Jews, the king of Egypt could not diminish the Jew. The waters of the Red Sea could not drown the Jew. Balaam could not curse the Jews. The fiery furnace could not devour the Jews. The gallows of Haman could not hang him. Nations couldn't assimilate him. Dictators couldn't annihilate him because God's hand was on them. It's pretty powerful. And it's interesting, no matter where we go today in various cultures and races of the world, they get assimilated, but not the Jews. We have Russian Jews and Polish Jews and American Jews. God has preserved their unique identity in some way. No matter where we go, we see that God is not through and there are still prophecies yet to be fulfilled as he extends again his hand of mercy to them. In fact, you and I are brought along to make Israel jealous. They missed it, and the Bible says that we would cause them a great jealousy because we've recognized the Messiah. Number two, I want you to see that God has not forgotten his plan, redemption. God's not forgotten his people, the Jews, but he's not forgotten his plan. God is still working on this time frame. He gave it to Daniel 483 years before Jesus. He's given it now 2,483 years roughly. Uh, He's given it well over 2,000 years for us to recognize that he's still at work at saving people. That the Messiah is still extending the call to people in Hattiesburg. If you'll come to me by faith, I'll save you. I love that. One of the things that happened, just very quickly, in an interesting note, there was something good that happened in Babylon. They were no longer able to worship in one centralized place, the temple. And so they began to build synagogues. They would build places where they could go and they could discuss the Torah. And in fact, while they were in Babylon, the Bible was brought together. Ezra the scribe helped bring those scrolls together. And so the Old Testament was completed during that time. If you read through the Old Testament, if you have a copy of the Old Testament, it came from scrolls in Babylon under the inspiration of God. And if you're sitting in a house of worship today, it was not a far transition from synagogue to church. You see, when the church was born in the book of Acts, you see Paul going to the synagogue, people would gather, they would get saved, and now the church is born. So God was in process, even in Babylon, working to save you and me. Amen? Thirdly, I want you to see this. We learn that God is a personal God. We learn through studying the events of this prophecy that God is a personal God. Daniel was praying. Daniel's heart was broken. Daniel was confused. And Daniel was anxious. And God spoke to his anxiety. He spoke peace to his anxiety. He spoke comfort to his confusion. And God will do that for you. Over and over again, Daniel, greatly loved by God because of his obedience, God touched him. He he gave him the ability to speak. He answers prayers and he works in our lives even in the difficult times. And we see that here. Jesus saw the future when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Not only the carnage that was to destroy the city, but he saw a time of terror that would come as people rejected him and he wept church family tears come pretty easy for me too especially when I try to put myself in the sandals of this man Daniel and I think about how overwhelmed with the knowledge of God he must have felt it motivates me when I realize that many people don't understand the things that we've talked about. They don't recognize that God actually is ruling and reigning. They don't recognize that salvation is available if they'll trust him. They've not cried out to him. And there are people all around us that are lost and wandering aimlessly in the dark. And all the while, God shines light on the path. He did for Daniel as a result of an answer to prayer and he'll shine light on the path of the people around you when you recognize that Jesus Christ called you and me the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for illuminating our path. Thank you, God, that you would give to us a picture of the Messiah who would ride into Jerusalem born to die 
and yet raised to eternal life so that we might live. God, would you save those that would trust you today? Would you encourage those that are anxious today? Would you move in our midst in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing. We have encouragers that are here, and they would love to share with you a time of prayer and encouragement in any way they can. If you need to talk to one of them, they're right down here to my left, and you're right. If you want to slip out as we sing to where they are, they'll be glad to talk to you and pray with you and encourage you. Today, if you need to be saved, if you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, I can think of no greater day. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Now, let me say this. Maybe the need of your life is to join with this church. God is doing amazing missional things through this church to be a lighthouse in this great city and in the Pine Belt. And if you need to unite with us, slip out from where you are and come and talk to our encouragers. They would love to talk to you about moving your membership to this church family. Let's sing together. You have, let God have his way.